All right, here we are on the Motorcycle Men podcast. This is number episode number 74. And my name is Ted, and as you guys know, we're hanging out here at the V-Twin Cafe. One of the things that all of us motorcycle dudes and dudettes, we uh, really uh, spend our time really concerned with things is like maintenance with our motorcycles. And one of the things we should be doing all the time is changing our oil. Well, on the show with me tonight is a guy that can tell us all about that and what's best and what's not best for us. Joining me here is James McGrath with uh, Surma Industries. Hello, James. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ted. So, James, where are you located right now? Right now I'm in North Haven, Connecticut. Wow. So you decided to go for the warm weather, did you? <laughs> Not by choice. <laughs> I understand. So do me a favor. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, Surma Lube and Surma Industries? All righty. Uh, my company is Surma Lube. I represent the manufacturer, the parent company, Surma Industries, out of Denison, Texas, about an hour and a half north of Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, I'm in, by trade, I'm an aerospace engineer. I've oh. worked for Sikorsky Aircraft, General Electric, and other big companies and small companies. Mm-hmm. But I was a frustrated engineer. And uh, <laughs> and uh, when I stumbled, and there's no other word, I was stumbled upon this Cerma technology about five years ago, and I just almost immediately quit my job as a senior manufacturing engineer for General Electric because I understood that this was not an oil that this was an education process, that it's actually a metal treatment, and we'll get into that later on in the show. But uh, people love to think it's just another Slick 50 or some type of oil. It's not. It's the perfection of metal driven by hotspots with ceramics. Mm -hmm. So because of that very nature, uh, it's not something that you're going to see in the local store because it takes an explanation. And the way I met you was at the Americade up in Lake George. Yes. I do a lot of uh, trade shows, and I meet a lot of people that I wouldn't meet anywhere else, and then the rest of my business is referrals. Oh, okay. Now, now the thermal lubes or the certain oils, is it an oil, an oil treatment? And, you know, how does that differ from your, your traditional oils and your synthetic oils? Well, you know, t- traditional oils depend on viscosity and fluid flow. Um, it, it, we really approach it from a different point of view. Um, this technology goes back to a number of years ago, almost 20 years now, where uh, submarines had noisy gearboxes. And in that world, vibration is everything. It leads to detection and problems. So you cannot quiet a, go- a gearbox down by thinning or thickening the oil. You have to repair the root cause of the problem, which means something's out of whack. Something's rubbing harder on one side than the other. Mm-hmm. Well, it just so happened that the inventor of this Surma technology is a man named John Murray, and John definitely thinks outside the box, and he invented Surma a number of years ago. But what it does is we took ceramics and put it into a liquid nano state. And nano means that it is so small, if you give it enough time, it'll actually go through an eighth-inch pane of glass. But to get back on focus, what happens is that this ceramics in a liquid state it pursues metal. It, it pursues the carbon or carbon acid deep in the grain of the metal. But here's the key, driven by hot spots. So the first step to treating a car, a motorcycle, a lawnmower, whatever, is to balance it to perfection. So, you know, I view us as harmonics engineers or vibration engineers because we can give you another 10, 15, even 20% more power 
And everybody thinks in traditional lubricant uh, thought that we're reducing friction, we're really reducing vibration. So if I take, say, one ounce in a motorcycle or two ounces in a car and just pour it into the oil and run it for a thousand or more miles, it has nothing to do with the oil. It is using the oil to pursue the hot spots in the engine. So let's just say, for whatever reason, there was more problems or damage on the left side of the engine. Well, it would run hotter. And the ceramics is now in the oil. It's going to sense that heat, and it's going to be attracted to, the, in this case, the left side of the engine. But it's not a coating. Anything that's on the outside, like paint or Teflon, eventually is going to fall off. This is like a true heat treating where it pickles or penetrates into the metal up to six microns deep in pursuit of the carbon, driven by hot spots. And it cures in the grain of the metal. And what you end up doing is getting the best of both worlds. You're basically bonding ceramic and carbon deep in the grain of the metal. So you got the hardness of the ceramic, which is one step down from diamond, mm -hmm. but you got the expandability, contraction, and, and, and movement of the metal. So it's not like a brittle coating on a wash machine where if you hit it with a hammer, it just chips off. This is actually so small that you cannot even see it. It does not void warranties. It does not affect tolerances. It is undetectable to the human eye. So the first step that we want to do is we want to take that machine and balance it to perfection. And, and that is something that cannot be done when the machine is on the assembly bench. It's just not seated in. The rings aren't seated. Things just aren't meshing and worn together. Mm -hmm. So you want to treat an engine after it has been broken in, preferably when it's going down the highway at 60 miles an hour. So the ceramics will pursue the damaged areas or the hot areas of the engine until the temperature on the left equals the temperature on the right. When that happens, you have divinely balanced that engine, and that's where the increase in power comes. It's almost like a Wankel engine. Oh, right. so, uh, so that's the first step. And, and you'd run this concentrate in somebody else's oil because we can pull the carbon out of somebody else's oil um, and work on the metal. And then after that 1,000 miles in a motorcycle or 2,000 miles in a car, you dumped this extremely dirty oil. And in that oil is going to be every speck of dirt since that engine was built. At that point, you have a choice of going back with anybody's oil or going with a Surma high-performance oil. And there's many reasons, and we'll talk about that, but our oil will go 30,000 miles wow. in a motorcycle or a car. No kidding. Uh, wow. And I've had truckers push it double and triple that, but you just want to keep up on routine filter changes. Wow, that's amazing. That is really amazing. Now, is this these that Surma 3 STM3 uh, and that SICK run clean, SIC, run clean technology? How does that work? Okay. The STM3, basically it stands for Surface Tension Modification Version 3. All right. The reason why you want to modify the surface tension is it allows for much better penetration. But when we're talking oils, one of the biggest issues in oils is air entrapment or foaming okay and by modifying or or really reducing the surface tension you drastically reduce the fluid drag on the engine so it's almost freewheeling but more importantly you allow micro bubbles to escape so a lot of those mysterious little ticking noises go away because if you have any air in a fluid whether it's oil or hydraulic mm -hmm. or whatever yeah. then you have compressibility so the cam and the lifter start bouncing off each other because mm -hmm. of the compressing of the air instead of following nicely and eliminating all those little noises. Oh, okay. so, so the STM3 is, is service tension modification version 3. Now, the, 
the sick is is silica is uh, ceramics. Oh, okay. And, and you're, you're talking about when you talk about foaming of oil. I have seen that, and it's I always felt it was the most unusual thing I've ever seen. No one ever thinks of oil foaming, but I have seen that uh, with my motorcycle even, and it's strange, and, and it can't be good. It's a big problem, especially in hydraulics. Oh wow. Okay, now listen, motorcycles are a lot different than your regular family car, as you know. The engines run a lot hotter. Uh, they're a little more high performance in most cases, and they're a little bit more demanding of their inter- internal systems. Now, can motorcycles use therm oils, and do you think they can benefit more than traditional and your synthetic oils? Ted, there's, there's almost no comparison between a normal motor oil or even a synthetic motor oil and our technology. I'm not trying to brag, but we're 20 years ahead of the curve. Wow. In fact, there isn't even realistic testing protocol set up to handle our technology. Uh, when you are talking motorcycles, you know, one of the biggest things on a lot of these Harleys is thigh burn. They run so hot that your, your legs start to burn. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, typically drop those temperatures 10, 15 degrees, 10 degrees. It depends on the, on the machine that you're running. Yeah. And there's many reasons why we drop the temperature. Um, part of it has to do with friction resistance being drastically reduced, fluid resistance being drastically reduced. Um, now, the other thing, too, is everybody, especially when we sell oil, we, we sell the oils based on viscosities because that's the language that you understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, people will get obsessed about, is this a 2050 weight? Is it a 1545 weight? So if that's the language my customers understand, that's the language we talk. But viscosity, if you really want to make a simple example uh, to understand it, it's almost like opening up an engine or a gearbox, and it's full of elastic bands. And the elastic bands stick, they stretch, and they snap. That's viscosity. It's kind of like a stickiness factor. Yeah. Um, especially when you get into gear lube oils, you have GL4 and GL5. If you put in a, a too sticky an oil, you could actually start pulling uh, microparticles of bronze off synchronizer. So, so it's a fine balance between how much tack, not too much, not too little. Uh, what we do is imagine we take a pair of scissors and we cut all those elastic bands up into nano-sized ball bearings. Now imagine you open up a gearbox or you open up an engine, and it's full of nanoball bearings, so small that human eye can't even see them. But what we're saying now is that at any temperature, when two pieces of metal come together, they roll off of each other instead of stick, stretch, and snap. Oh, I All right. See. All right. That, that's, that's one major difference. Another major difference is oxidation points. Most oils will oxidize in the 350, 400 degree range. Where you get into trouble, especially in cars, is where you have turbos running at 500, 550. This is why they always tell you when you come off the highway, cool that turbo down before you turn it off. Otherwise, you're going to fry the oil and coke build up and all that. Our oxidation points, instead of being in the 350 to 400, our 2050 oil has probably got an oxidation of 575. Uh, our 1540s are running at 650. Wow. Our 1030s yeah. are running at uh, probably 700. Uh, our 520s are probably 750. Wow. Now, the question is, why does the thinner oil have a higher oxidation level? And that's because it flows better. One of the biggest misconceptions in lubrication is that people think a thicker oil is better. Oh, really? That's uh, what I always thought. Yeah, and a, and a thicker oil is 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 
probably better by conventional terms because it's a little stronger oil and might have some more additives. But in our world, where viscosity doesn't matter, you actually want to go the opposite way because the thinner the oil, the faster it's going to move past those hot spots. So if we can keep an oil from getting sluggish, mm -hmm. we can withstand higher temperatures. Oh. So, so we, we really increase the oxidation points of our oil. We modify the surface tension, which lets micro bubbles come out. And one of the biggest things that, that most excites me is that this is the only self-cleaning oil on the market. I, oh, I told you at the beginning that we're 20 years ahead of the curve, well, and that might even yeah. be conservative. Explain that, explain that, explain that self-cleaning thing. Okay, very easy. Everybody tries to sell you their special super fine filter, and we know already that the finer the filter, that means the more expensive and the more restrictive it is. Mm -hmm. What if we can have you use any filter and we put the self-cleaning tendencies into the oil itself? So what we do is we do a lot with ionic charges. You have all these small pieces of carbon. So let's just say you got a 20 micron filter and you got one micron dirt. We can all agree it's going right through the filter. What we do is we put an ionic charge on the fine pieces of carbon and we attract carbon to carbon and they become a big chunk. And now a 20 micron filter is taking out not only one micron dirt, but submicron dirt. You have never seen oil filter to the submicron level. So I can honestly tell you that when you eventually switch to our oils, it becomes, it continues the cleaning process that was started when we initially treated the metal. And, and, and so we're going back in time. So, so let, me, let me just say this. We, we really have two fundamental ways that we improve your, your engine. The first way is to seal the steel with a lot of ceramics. And, and then the second part is the oils and, and the lubrication end of it. I, I make the analogy that it's like when you open up a swimming pool, you shock it with a lot of chlorine. Yep. And then you maintain it through the rest of the summer with a little chlorine. Well, that's the plan anyway. That's the plan. So the concentrate is, let's say, 100% ceramics, and the motor oil is only 10%. So it's a way of not looking at it is you'd, you'd almost have to go through 10 oil changes to get what's in the uh, concentrate up front. So you right. always want to start out, and the formula is one ounce of motorcycles, two ounces in cars, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, you always want to put the concentrate into you know, whatever oil that you're used to using and run that for 1,000 miles in motorcycles, 2,000 miles in cars. What it's doing, people think that we're in there with little hammers chipping away at all the carbon and creating a lot of grit. We're not. We're emulsifying the carbon into a black nano liquid, and there's so much of it that we have to dump it into the volume of the oil. It would be too much for a filter. Right. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, that your first oil change is going to be horrific because literally <laughs> since the day of manufacture, all that dirt is going to be swimming around in the volume of the oil because the filter can't handle it and then you dump it out, but it's not abrasive. It is a black nano liquid. It's totally safe. Wow. That's... Once you dump that filthy first oil change, and you now go to our, what I call our racing ceramic oils, the next goal is to keep the oil clean and put the dirt in the filter where it's manageable. Mm -hmm. So if I give you an oil that can go 30,000 miles, and you're used to changing your filters every 5,000, then change your filters every 5,000, so we have a place to put the dirt. The purpose of oils is to keep the dirt in suspension until it can be carried to the filter. So you actually, this is the only oil that stays clean, even in a diesel. I've seen diesels that the minute you change with conventional oil, you're not out the garage and the oil is jet black. 
I will tell you, I got tons of referrals of people who've got 10, 15,000 miles on their diesels and it's clean. Wow. That's so impressive. that's the two basic fundamentals of how we treat the metal and then how we go and we have a self-cleaning oil. That's, that's impressive. All right. Another thing. Here you go. Now, I, I want to read you a couple of things. Now, my Harley, I have a, I have a Harley Davidson Heritage Softail Classic. Uh, it's a 2003 and I've got a little over 40,000 miles on it. Now, Harley Davidson requires that I use a specific grade and viscosity and temperature rating uh, for my bike. And I'll, I'll tell you why. When I say temperature rating, they have like four different types of oils that I should be using depending upon what the ambient temperature is. So if it's below 40 degrees, I should be using a multi-grade SAE 10W40. Or if it's above 40 degrees, I should be using SAE 2050. And if it's above 60 degrees, I should be using an SAE 50, and if it's above 80 degrees, I should be using an SAE 60. Now, Arlie Davidson on their website also says that it has additional additives to prevent engine wear and helps keep your engine cooler, cleaner, and free of sludge and varnish and corrosion. Now, how would uh, Serma fit into the specific, specific engine requirements that the manufacturer may set down? Very good question, but once again, we're looking at it from the prism of what you've been taught for years and years and years, where viscosity matters. Right. In my world, viscosity doesn't matter. Okay. Okay, so also, we previously, I had talked to you about the oxidation points. They're almost double any other oil. Right. So oxidation is not an issue. Temperature is not an issue. Uh, even viscosity is not an issue. Uh, one, one other point, a major point that I actually missed <laughs> On the oil, what makes our oil last so long is you've got to get back to the fundamental question of why do you change oil? And people will give an answer, well, it's dirty, or they told me to. That's not the answer. Why did it get dirty? The, the answer is because it's oxidizing. What's breaking down? Well, the additives are breaking down. Okay, well, what's breaking down the additives? Well, acid. Well, where's acid coming from? Moisture. Well, where did moisture come from? Condensation. If you strip away the layers of the question and yeah. get back to the fundamental reason of why do you change your oil, it is because it's turning to an acid. Wow. And the acid comes from condensation. This is why I have sold entire marinas, okay? Every boat, if you go down to Norwalk, Connecticut, it's called Total Marine on Water Street. Every boat in the marina is Surma, not only in the engine, in the gearbox, in the fuel systems, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, so if moisture is the issue... What we do that nobody else does is we break down water into right. its basic components, which is oxygen and hydrogen. Mm -hmm. There is a covalent bond that attracts the oxygen to the hydrogen. We break that bond, and the water becomes two separate gases and bubbles away as hydrogen and bubbles away as oxygen, and there is no more water. So if there is no more water, there is no more acid, there is no more degrading of the ad pack. There is no more dirt because of the ionic charge that filters it to the submicron level. You can see where this conversation is going. Mm -hmm. So all those, you know, when they tell you you've got to buy four products to accomplish one feat, that's the American business model. <laughs> every, every industry I know does not make money selling the car or the motorcycle. They make money maintaining it. They make money servicing it. They're, you're never going to find a cure for cancer. And there are many cures for cancer. We could talk about that if you want. But the <laughs> point is that it's the no. plant obsolescence. So one of the questions that we always get is, well, who endorses this? Who backs it? You want to know the true answer? Nobody. Right. Because 
they what mechanic wants you coming back every 30,000 miles? Nobody. They want you back every 3,000 miles to sell you an air freshener. Of course. So we are counterculture all the way. We're rebels all the way. <laughs> well, that, that, that sits really well with the motorcycle community then. You'll fit That's right why in. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, have, do you got a lot of uh, um, uh, motorcycle folks using your oil? Absolutely. In fact, you know, uh, I, I pulled up on my, uh, my computer over here a whole mm-hmm. bunch of testimonies uh, that pertain specifically to the uh, to the motorcycle world. I I won't even bore you reading them. You can go to our website and just go down. There's a lot of testimonies for cars. There's also a lot of testimonies for for motorcycles. I mean, you know what? Listen, let me let me let me just read one. I'll I'll just pull it it off the top so we know what we're talking about over here. Okay, let's see. I was your biggest skeptic. I bought the Serm engine treatment because of how passionate you were about the product. Imagine that. Uh, it had been sitting on my toolbox for months. I put it in my bike today, and within an hour, I noticed it working. Wish I hadn't waited so long. Uh, what, have you go- what have you going for trannies? Another one says, uh, thanks to the emails, I'm getting better gas mileage on my bike. Was it 39 miles per gallon? I'm now getting 43 after 300 miles of riding on Surma. Here's another one. I'm a guy who spoke to you at length and purchased some fuel treatment, oil additive, and gun lube. Uh, I put the fuel and additives in yesterday. Immediately, I also run two more tanks of fuel with the treatment, reducing additives each time. In the last tank, none was applied. The bike is running great. The lifted noise has seemed to have dissipated. And he goes on and on. I I mean, these things are just endless. But what I am so proud of is that we have sold, we have done over a million real-world applications Probably in the last now, believe it or not, Surma was invented about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it finally went to the public in about 2003. And since then, we've done a million real-world applications without a single complaint. Wow. So, you know, when, when people get hung up on certifications and who endorses you, uh, you know what's the best endorsement is the Internet. Oh, that if I blew up one lawnmower... There would be blogs written about us. Oh, yeah, of course. So if you just go on Google and you type Surma Scam, Surma Snake Oil, Surma Sucks, Surma Ruined My Marriage, whatever you want, (laughs) you will not find any complaints. And we plan on keeping it that way because we give a 100% money back guarantee. The website says 90 days. I say, look, you're not happy you get your money back, period. Because I know it's going to work 100% of the time. So what this really is, is is puppy dog sales, that if I get you to take that puppy dog in your lap, you're never going to put it down. So I, I work really hard for the first sale. I treat my customers great, and the rest of my business is all referrals. So what what, what do the motorcycle uh, manufacturers have to say about this? I, I, have you gotten any feedback from any of them? You know, listen, I've approached motorcycles, and I've approached auto mechanics. It's the same response all the time. You know, I've gone to, I've gone to uh, racing performance. They deal with Porsches and Corvettes and all that stuff, and I said, look, you guys – you know, you got the best machines, you need the best lubricants. And the answer was almost hell no, because they know that people aren't going to be coming back for repairs. I've got a ceramic grease. If you greased your ball joints, your tie rod ends, your front end, it's not going to wear out. I mean, that's not the American model. When I worked at General Electric as, as that engineer, mm-hmm. you know, we were still going back to designs from the 1980s, hiring fresh engineers and saying, how can we make this thing cheaper? So, you know, I, I'm just tired of, you know, I, I'm I'm just tired of the the middle class, hardworking American being at the end of the stick when it comes to the right choices in terms of cancer treatment, when it comes in terms of equipment, in terms of lubricants, in terms of everything that we buy and we do. So, you know, we we are definitely, you know, we want to have a profile, but we don't want to move so loud and so fast that the powers to be crush us. 
Okay, right. so that's as politely as I can touch that subject. But you have to slowly and surely build your clientele to the point where it can't be stopped. And there was one time where we actually had to be quiet for almost five years because black helicopters were flying overhead. Wow. <laughs> well, I guess that's in, in itself, that's an endorsement right there <laughs> that you're doing a good job. Now you, I want to go back to something that you touched on very briefly. You had mentioned gas treatments. Yes. And I know this isn't one of the things that I had talked to you earlier about, uh, but now, how do how do these gas treatments work with all this ethanol fuel that, uh, that it's out there? Because Chris, this is all going to come crystal clear to you because I had already spoken to you that what we do that nobody else does is we eliminate water. Oh yeah. I See, also talked thing. about the marine industry, and yeah. I the big buzzwords in the marine industry is phase separation, which just means that they separate the water on the bottom of the tank, and you got to pump it out. Mm-hmm. Or the other thing that they do, which is almost worse, is they burn it. They homogenize the water and they burn it with the fuel. And as an engineer, I know you're lowering your output, your BTUs. What we do is we break the covalent bond between oxygen and hydrogen. It bubbles away as a gas. If there is no water, there is no acid. So we just solved your ethanol problem because you can't have an acid without moisture. But even if there for some reason was an acid, what is unique about my fuel treatments is that they do everything that you expect a fuel treatment to do, meaning be a biocide and an octane booster and this and that, but it is uniquely also a metal treatment. So when you put a little bit, and I mean a little, and I'll talk about that in a minute, when you put that in your fuel, not only does it boost your octane anywhere from two to four points, but it also impregnates ceramics into the fuel tank, the fuel lines, the injectors, and the pistons. Now, if you have ceramic pistons, this is critical, you have no glowing embers to cause pre-detonation. So your emissions drop about 92%. So, you know, you can have all the octane boosting you want, but if you have glowing embers sitting on that piston, the minute it starts to compress, it explodes the mixture way too soon, and you're going to have high nitrogen oxides and all kind of pollution. We drop emissions about 92%. Wow. And, and let me just let me just say one thing. You know, I went to New York City, you know, like a, a little puppy dog peeing all over himself that <laughs> I could reduce emissions in the garbage trucks and all the vehicles by 92 percent. And New York City wasn't interested. And wow. you know why? Why? Because they're making too darn much money from the government trying to find a cure for air pollution. Wow. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's the same story over and over and over again. But this is how you change the world. You change the world from the ground up, from the little man up. You don't go to Ford and you don't go to Harley and you don't go to whoever and say, look, you need this product. What happens is we'll get it out to everybody that uses those Fords and those Harleys. And those people will march to Washington and say, look, why don't you have this technology? Ah, so despite the black helicopters, you persist. Yes. (laughs) Good. That's good view. Um, Now, say, for example, somebody just... Brandon, I just, I've never used Therma before, and I start using it now. Uh, would my, is my maintenance schedule going to change on, on my motorcycle, or is it going to change for my truck? I mean, do I, am I going to have to do my oil changes at the same intervals and as I've, I've always done, or am I, do I have to, like, maybe once a year? What's the deal with that? You know, we will conservatively double, if not triple, if not beyond that, extend the life of your oil. So... What I would recommend that you do is that you first put the engine treatment in, run that for 1,000 miles on a bike or 2,000 miles in a car, and dump that cesspool oil and don't even bother testing it. The next step is to go to the Cermax oil, 
Uh, we have two oils. We have a Surma oil, which is a 15,000 mile oil, and we have a Surmax oil, which is a 30,000 mile oil. It's your choice. All right. But when you start using my oil, as I said to you, I want you to maintain a normal filter change schedule. So let's say you change your filter every uh, three, four thousand miles, change it to three, four thousand miles, but don't change the oil. Just change the filter. Now I want you to go another three or four thousand miles. And at that point, look at it and we'll make a decision. I'll tell you how. And if the oil is clean, you can even go a third time. So you want to, in the beginning, have normal cycle filter changes, right. but you don't want to change the fluid. So now the question is, how do I know when my fluid is bad or when my oil is, is, is breaking down? It has to be changed. This oil stays clean. It actually will start out as a very light orange, and then it will get darker and darker and darker, almost to a burnt orange. But when you change the filter, it actually goes back to a light orange. So you can do the expensive way where you spend $30 on an oil analysis and you do particle counts and, and, and measure TBN numbers and ISO numbers. And we can get into that whole thing. But the cheaper way is go to McDonald's and get yourself a napkin. <laughs> open, it, open up that napkin and put a nice little drop of oil in, on the napkin. And then I want you to fold up the napkin and, and squeeze it with your fingers and get that oil to kind of spread out in the napkin. Then I want you to open it up again and look at those four spots in the napkin. And if they look nice and clean, you know the oil's fine. Because if there is any water in there, you'll see water drops. Right. If there's excessive carbon, you'll see carbon around the edges of the puddle. So that is a perfect way to test your oil and know when, uh, when it's really too dirty. What you don't want to do is you don't want the oil to get so dark that it goes from that burnt orange and then flips over to jet black. It, it that just gets harder for the ions yeah. to bring the oil back to the lighter color. Yeah, black oil is usually bad, right? Uh, yes, but you know what they say. <laughs> Once you go black, you don't go back, no. right? <laughs> So well, yeah. just keep that little rule of thumb yeah. you know, in the back of your head. And so what I'm saying is, yeah. as the oil gets darker, I just want you to change the filter. And, right. and don't be greedy. I mean, go, go two or three oil changes. But here's the point. As that oil gets cleaner and cleaner, maybe your second oil change, maybe your third oil change, you're going to all of a sudden do that McDonald's napkin test, and you're going to say, oh, my God, it's just like crystal clear. And you will be able to go 15,000, 20,000, 30,000 miles on one filter. So it's going to take a couple oil changes before. Takes a couple oil changes because what actually yeah. is happening, and here's another reason I don't like people to go crazy with an oil analysis, is that especially truckers, they'll they'll look at the metallurgy of an oil, and let's just say that for whatever reason you went through my Serma process and you are now into my Serma oil, and you send it to a lab and it had high chromium readings. Oh my God, I used that Serma oil and now it's wearing out my rings. What happened in reality is that just like the ice cores on the South Pole, you can dig in backwards in time and, and 500 years ago measure the oxygen and, and carbon dioxide by the layers of the ice. Well, the same thing happens in your engine, that that chromium was worn when the rings were initially seeded many, many years ago, and it got lacquered into the walls of the crankcase, and it stayed there ever after. As you are now slowly stripping away these layers of lacquer from the walls of the crankcase, you're re-releasing that chromium that was suspended against the wall back into the oil, and that's what shows up in your oil analysis. So I tell people, listen, don't, if you want to do an oil analysis, don't even do an oil analysis 
until you at least got through one full cycle of my Surmax motor oil. So you do the engine concentrate first in your old oil. Right. Then you would do my Surmax oil for, say, 15, 20, 30,000 miles. Okay. Then dump that. And then if you want to test for peace of mind, but by then you're already going to know that Surma works. Right, so, so by your second filter change, you should be good to go. Uh, second oil change or second filter change? Either way. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> well, the second filter change, you're still on your first oil. Right. And so you're still stripping away the, the it depends on how old your engine is, you know? So yeah. once again, if we got many, many years of lacquers built up, you may not get all those lacquers off in one filter okay. change. You may have two or three filter changes before you get all the lacquers off the walls of the crank. All right, so at first, the key thing is to change your filter a few times to, in, order for this, in order for Cermax yep. to do its job. And, and in an extreme situation, for whatever reason, if that filter was almost turning jet black in 300 miles, then change the filter 300 miles. Wow. I'm just saying common yeah. sense prevails. You go by the color. Now, most of, most orange of us... orange to burn orange, back to light orange. Now, the majority of us motorcycle folks uh some guys do it more some guys do less on average for myself i'm changing the oil in my bike twice a year that's what i'm doing now whether if i go uh four thousand miles or if i go two thousand miles i'm changing my oil twice a year really and i do that because my bike does run at such a high heat that i know it's breaking down that oil and it's just making it it's basically just turning it into garbage it's not doing its job that's right. my it's always been my thought process now you're so you're saying that with serma oils that would not necessarily be the case. Absolutely not, because first of all, we're not going to have the high heat. Don't be surprised right. if we drop the temperature probably 10, 15 degrees. Mm -hmm. uh, not only because of the advanced ball bearing lubrication, if you want to call that, but remember I said that we clean up the combustion chamber. Yeah. So there's a lot of pre-detonation that is eliminated and mm -hmm. valves are kept squeaky clean. So there's a lot of thermodynamic reasons why the temperature of the engine is going to drop. Um, but the most important thing is that there is no buildup of acid. There is no moisture that is acidifying the crankcase over time. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes they get people that say to me, well, listen, I got an antique car and I only drive it 500 miles a year. Well, I don't care if that car is sitting nine months out of the year and you only drive it in the summer. It is still turning to an acid. Every yeah. time that the worst thing you can do with a boat is to start and run the engines for 10 minutes to charge the batteries because all you did was made the engine sweat. So it's moisture, whether it's an antique car or an antique motorcycle sitting in the garage, it's moisture, whether it's a, a, a boat, you know, uh, sitting at, at the dock. So, so the reason you're changing your oil is because of the acidification. We've eliminated that mm -hmm. uh, and you just go by the color test. All right. So now going to my truck, for example, my truck has just turned over 150,000 miles and it's a five-year-old truck. Now, now, does your oil, does it kind of breathe any more life back into that engine? You're going to see it more than a person that has a brand new truck. Oh, really? Uh, be, because let me just say, what happens, and we're getting back to oxidation, is that you build up gum tar, lacquer, shellac, and varnish as the machine ages. A lot of situations I have, people say, you know, that the old dog just doesn't have the pickup like it used to. It's starting to burn a little oil. And the next words I know coming out of their mouth, or they're at least thinking it, is that their rings are worn. Uh, here's a flash alert. Your rings are not worn. Your rings are lacquered up. Uh, so what happens is that the lacquers pack into the rings, and the rings cannot expand 100%. And, and that's where a couple of things start happening. You start losing compression, but you also then have what's called blow-by, which is a major contaminant of the oil. You start getting the combustibles getting past the rings, 
And that's why your oil is getting dirty even faster. What we do is, listen, we can't fix broken, we can't fix stupid, but in most cases, <laughs> we reseat those rings within the first 250 miles wow. from a bed of gummed up shellac and varnish to a bed of highly polished ceramics. I've got racers that they do compression checks and they're blown away. In fact, you know what? Let me, let me look up. Um, I had one other testimony that I didn't plan on reading, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I do want to read it now. Let me just find it over here. And we'll talk about compression increase. It says over here, uh, I recently, SIC, uh, silicone, uh, uh, silicon treated my 1100cc motor on a 1984 Honda V65 Sabre VF100S and began with these compression numbers. Cylinder number one was 120. Cylinder number two, 142. Cylinder number three, uh, let's see, I got to read the right numbers. He did two compression checks, like 120 over 170. Um, anyway, the 120, after treatment compression improved significantly, my post-treatment numbers were, the cylinder one was 120, it went up to 168. Cylinder number two was 142, it went up to 172. Cylinder number three, from 138 to 168. Cylinder number four, from 140 to 170. We are looking at approximately a 30 PSI increase in the compression, but even more importantly, we shut down the washdowns, the contaminants that were blowing past those rings. Wow, that's impressive. So the point I want, and this all happened within 250 miles. The point I want to make is that that rings, we are not over-engineering or re-engineering equipment. We are basically bringing it back to an as-new condition. So this is why we don't void warranties, okay? We're not a, tweaking the computers. We're not doing anything. We're just cleaning up the gum tar, shellac, and varnish that caused the machine to not work as perfectly as it did when it was new. Right. So if you, you ask me the question about a truck with 150,000 miles, you will see a significant difference. Whereas if I put it in a truck that was brand new or even 10, 20,000 miles, you might say to me, you know, I don't know if your product worked. I really didn't see a difference. Well, you didn't see a difference because you were at max compression and everything was pretty much balanced. Right. But what you did was that you locked in that freshness at 20,000 miles. So that truck's not going to uh, age. <laughs> One of the things that we sometimes do is just for dramatics is we will open up the car door and we will put our hand on the corner, the far farthest corner away from the center of gravity of the, of the vehicle. As the door is wide open, the top right corner, we put our hand on that as we are pouring the Surma in the oil or someone else is pouring the uh, Surma in the oil of the engine. And you could feel the harmonics and the difference way out there. So, you know, a motorcycle, you're going to feel the difference the most, followed by a person that's in the car because... With a motorcycle, you're closest to the engine. Mm -hmm. With the oh, car, yeah. you're a little farther away. And if you put it in a boat, you know, it's below deck and you're up in the crow's nest. So there's, and you're dealing with waves and wind. So motorcycles are going to see the biggest improvement, especially if they've got some age on them. All right. Well, speaking of age, what about the guy that has a vintage, I say 1960s or 1970s motorcycle, regardless of what brand? of motorcycle. How, yep. the, how are they going to react to this uh, product? He better come running for Surma because remember we already talked about the <laughs> crooked American industry here. No, uh, what stop. they're doing now, <laughs> I know that slip. What they're doing now is they are by design, and you know, it's not the oil companies. It's, it's really the government forcing oil companies 
they'll say things like zinc is a toxin, you got to take it out. So in the last few years, they've taken 90% of the good stuff out of oil, the zinc, the sulfur, the ZDDP. That was the alkalinity of the oil. Remember I said that everybody, everything is moving towards an acidic condition, and the, mm -hmm. fir, and the yeah. faster it becomes acid, the, now it starts breaking down the ad pack and, and everything crumbles. Right. Well, zinc is, is an alkali, so it's the only reserve. It's a wear item, if you want to call it. I, I'm very happy to tell you that we don't even rely on zinc. Okay, so we don't have depletables. We rely on those nano-sized ceramic ball bearings that are impervious to time and wear and acid and alkali. They, they just do their thing. Right. So so anyway, so it, it, it all works to, to your favor. Uh, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, say that you got the guy with the 1960s or 1970s oh, vintage so, bike. How is he, he? You said he should become running to you. Well, what I want you to understand is that the trend in oils is that they are not backwards compatible. And the reason for that is that they will work with the new tolerances, the new metallurgies. They will not work with the old tolerances and the old metallurgies, which is how the government forces you to scrap the older stuff in lieu of more modern pollution equipment and pay more sales taxes. Uh, I'm very happy to tell you that one Cermax oil or Cerma oil will fit the latest equipment and the oldest equipment. It will work on lawnmowers. It'll work on a 1947 flathead. So the older your equipment is, the more you're in a perilous situation with modern lubricants because the older equipment really depended on the zinc, the sulfur, the ZDDP, and all the other things that gave it its slipperiness and its alkalinity. Now, you guys also have uh, transmission fluids. Now, are all these fluids uh, compatible with uh, bikes that need uh, the sump-capable type fluids, like for motorcycles? Yes, and, and <clears throat> when you're talking about sumps, you're talking about wet clutches and all yeah, that stuff yeah, here. And, yeah. and you know, there's we're getting into a lot of engineering talk today, but a lot of clutches grab because instead of uh, instead of acting by pressure and friction, they they almost have grab points. Um, and what Serma does is that it will actually flash into the ceramics because there is some carbon in ceramics and it'll keep them so immaculately clean that the wet clutches will be working based on the pressure and the friction rather than grab points. So it, it, to, to the layman, it becomes a much more predictable, dependable, and smoother clutch action. All right. Now, this one, is with, with regard to the transmission fluids, I for my bike, my Harley, Harley is very specific about what I should be putting in my bike. Does that have any bearing whatsoever on it that uh, Cermica can go into my bike for the transmission? No, but see, they're in a catch-22 yeah. because they, if they're using the same oil in the engine and in the wet clutch, they have not. two different yeah. environments. Yeah. So how do you design for two completely different situations? The only ones that can do it is us because mm -hmm. we don't depend on viscosity. We don't depend on a lot of the things that is the traditional model of the way that you look at lubrication. All right. Well, in my particular case, I don't have a, a sump type uh, system on my bike. I have two separate things. I have oil and I have transmission. Now, can I use Serma in my transmission or is that? Sure. It's, it's yeah. whatever fluid that you have in your transmission. If you have a gear lube oil, we give you a gear lube oil. If you have ATF, we give you ATF. If you have motor oil, we give you motor oil. So whatever the fluid is, that's what we match up. Okay. Uh, have you guys ever done any tests, performance tests, improvement tests with motorcycles uh, or cars, for that matter, uh, with regard to uh, reductions in heat and decrease in oil foaming and the cold weather starting? That's another thing. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. Let's start with the cold weather uh, starting. Once again, that's a viscosity question. Mm -hmm. So since we don't depend on viscosity, it's a non-issue. Second of all, when you are depending on a lubricant, that lubricant drains down overnight. So 95% of all the wear on your equipment is during the initial 15 seconds of startup. When you impregnate ceramics into the metallurgy, the slipperiness is in the, is in the steel. You know, I, I make a play on words. I say it's a, it, it's a, it cleans, but it's not a cleaner. It lubricates, but it's not a lubricant. It does it to the perfection of metal. You are running on a nanolayer ceramics that is always there 100% of the time. So when you initially start that engine, let's say even on a really cold day, it's, you're going to see a big difference in your, your battery performance and just how quickly that thing runs and comes alive and performs. You know, uh, ceramics is good to like, uh, I think it's 2,100 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, wow. you're never going to get that hot, hopefully. Uh, but that's the type of protection you have. And, you know, one other thing, we're getting off a little bit on a tangent, but right. there's a lot of fork trucks and other equipment that, uh, and cars that are coming now through with compressed natural gas. That is very hard on the metallurgy. For one reason, it's a dry burn, okay? So the metal heats up so quickly that it develops thermal cracks in the metal. And the other issue is it's rich in hydrogen, so you get what's called hydrogen embrittlement, which is another thing that makes the metal brittle. The solution is a one-time application of the ceramic concentrate, which will seal the steel with the nanoceramics, and the hydrogen can't get to the metal, can't brittle it, can't bother it by temperature, et cetera. That's a, it's really impressive that you... <laughs> You, you obviously know what you're talking about. Getting back to the transmission thing, and it, yes. I'm, I'm sorry for dwelling, but I'm a little curious here. Uh, Harley-Davidson specifically says that 84 and later big tool models use it with a wet-type diaphragm spring clutch. Every 10,000 miles or prior to winter extended storage periods, I should be changing the fluids for the transmission. Every 20,000 miles prior to winter extended storage periods. Every ten thousand to twenty thousand miles for winter storage. Now, does is that anything affected by Serma, or, or you just take care, drop that in your transmission, and let Serma do its thing, and you don't really need to do, go through all these steps? You hit it on the head. You drop it in the transmission and forget about it. If you want, if you want to do it the best way, okay. Yeah. Like let's just say it, it's it's an older bike or it's been around the block a few times. The best way to treat a transmission, a gearbox power steering, whatever it is, or hydraulics, just like you treat your engine, you, the best way to do it is in a two-step process. Okay. So what I would do is, if it was my bike, I would put, uh, say, one or two ounces of our gear lube concentrate or our transmission fluid concentrate into the respective uh, part of the bike. Okay. And I would run it for a summer, you know, or a month at least, a month or two. Mm -hmm. And what that's doing is that's breaking all the gum, breaking down all the gum tar, shellac, and varnish, and dumping it into the old oil. Then come the fall, dump that old oil, then get the racing transmission fluid or gear lube or power steering or hydraulic and put that in, which won't degrade because it's impervious to moisture, and that'll be the last oil change you ever do. Really? So if, if the equipment is brand new, like let's say somebody's manufacturing a brand new engine, I would I would not use the Serma until they get through the break-in oil because otherwise you wouldn't seat the rings. So mm -hmm. uh, it, let's just say a, a typical break-in period is what? You tell me. How many miles on, on, on break-in oil? Uh, you know, I, guess, I, I think it's going to be like 500 miles at least. All right. So what I would do is I would probably run it 
you know, 300 miles, 400 miles with the braking oil and then put the Surma in for the last 100 miles. Wow. So we allow a braking oil is actually a, a friction intense oil. It's, it's designed to wear. That way you seat the rings into the grooves of the piston and then you seal the steel. Mm -hmm. But another thing that you could also do is you might even in that situation, because the engine is brand spanking new, you might have the ability just to go straight to my motor oil because you don't need to concentrate, which normally is designed to, remember I said, emulsify and break down all the carbon? Right. Well, this is a rebuilt engine. So you don't have all that breakdown of, of carbon that has to be done. So we're going right to metal treatment. So the Surma oil might even have enough concentrate in there to just go right to that after you get past the braking oil. But oh, I would I always do the braking oil first. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you'll have a harder time. I won't say you won't seat the rings, but you'll have a longer time and a harder time seating the rings because of, because of the reduction of friction. Well, let me ask you this then. What is the uh, cutoff line between uh, so, you know, this, the procedure that you've been explaining between, like, for example, say your bike is uh, a year old versus your bike is three years old or five years old. Wh what's the cutoff to where, okay, I should do this procedure instead of doing this procedure? You know, I, I'm a believer that you really probably should most of the time, if not all the time, do a two-step process okay. because – the Surma oil will be great at stripping away lacquers and gum tar and varnish, but it is the upfront one-time ceramic treatment that transforms the metallurgy to where the lacquers and gum tar and varnish can't stick in the first place. Okay. So I think the compromise would be, before I told you that it comes in a two-ounce bottle, but you, you only need one ounce, you're only using half a bottle in a normal situation for a bike. Right. But I would probably take that one ounce and cut it down to a quarter of an ounce. I mean, if one ounce cost you $40 or around there, 40, 50 bucks, then a one ounce is going to cost you 10, 12 dollars. I think it's worth it to uh, a quarter of an ounce. I think it's worth it if you had a brand new bike to go three, 400 miles on the braking oil and then just put in a quarter of an ounce of the Surma concentrate to seal the steel real easily and then go to my oil. So if you bought a two-ounce bottle and you're treating typical bikes, you can do two bikes with one ounce each. Wow, but if okay. they're, you know, and I'm, I'm assuming it's a 1,300 cc, you know, in the 1,000, 1, 13, 18. Right. But if it's a small little putt-putt, you know, 350 cc, then we could take the dose and bring it down to a, a quarter of an ounce, a third of an ounce. And, and this is where I, I love having working relationships with my customers because I can be creative in, in how we treat the equipment and, and dosage, dosages. You know, um, landscapers, they, they'll buy one two-ounce bottle, which a two-ounce bottle is 12 cap holes. But if it's a five-horsepower lawnmower, they're putting in one cap hole. If it's a 10 to 15-horsepower snowblower, it's two cap holes. If it's an X-Mart zero-turn rider, you know, 20 to 25 horsepower, they're putting in three cap holes. Okay. So a landscaper with one bottle could probably treat tw uh, seven, eight pieces of equipment. And the same thing with motorcycles, depending on their size. Okay. Now, when somebody, say for example, somebody, say I bought some of this stuff, does, does it come with an instruction on how to do this? Absolutely. Oh, uh, first of all, there's really good instructions on the web and, and, and on the label. Right. But whenever I send out my emails, I then custom send the instructions based on whether it's a motorcycle, whether it's a diesel, whether it's a truck, whether whatever. So this is all part of, you know, I'm here. This is all I do. I, for, I, this is my fifth year in business. As I told you before, I'm the number one guy, not only in the United States, but in the world. Uh, believe it or not, we sell this in Vietnam. Don't ask me why. 
but uh, it works great in the rickshaws. Lots of motorcycles in Vietnam. That's why. <laughs> okay, you're absolutely right. So the whole point is, I'm uh, any time of the day, I'm there to give you that guidance and hold your hand. What it, it what it does, is, and you know, in our world, I've got 90 plus percent of all my customers use my motor oil, but that's a giveaway. We don't make a lot of profit on the oil. It's like bread in a grocery store, hoping that you buy that little packet of Tic Tacs on the way out by the cash right. register. So by keeping in touch with you, all of a sudden you say, you know what, I got another bike, I got another wife. No, scratch that. Uh, but I have a friend <laughs> that has a bike. He wants it. He's interested. Remember, advertising doesn't work. I spend zero dollars on advertising. My money is spent on probably 50 trade shows a year. Maybe not that many, even 40. But the whole point is uh, that's where my money goes, and the rest of my business is word of mouth. So I have every incentive to answer any of your questions and, and go from there. Okay. Now, is Surma of oil available at any retailers at all? The answer is no. And the reason is that what the American business model is, and we keep getting back to that, yep. that they want you to buy some heavily advertised product where half the money, if not three quarters of the cost, went into advertising, and then get the heck out of the store all within three minutes. Nice. They cannot afford to have somebody speak to the customers even half as long as I just spoke to you. And you're not going to buy until all your questions are answered. So if you've got 14 people standing at the counter and you got a guy making not that much money, he's not going to have the interest nor the expertise nor the time to do this. So, you okay. know, this this is a product that if you ever watch Shark Tank, the oh, one yeah. time they don't invest is when they have to create a new market. Uh, uh, it, so how much money is it going to take before I take this bottle, say it's $96 for two ounces and it's sitting at Walmart's, and you or your wife walks in and sees the value of that bottle. It's probably not going to happen. You're going to walk away and say, oh, my God, that stuff's expensive as perfume. Right. But I look at it, and you know we've got a saying that price is only an issue in the absence of value. You cannot rebuild an engine for $96. No. You cannot get the 20%. We've got people that have boats. Remember I was telling you about that boat yard in Norwalk, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. People will come in, and they'll say, you know what? I want... 20% more power out of my bow, and I'm willing to spend $45,000. And they'll go about it, you know? Yeah. They, they could have just put Surma in the boat. You know, it's so, funny you should say that, because I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine, and we were going uh, on about why some people will spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to make their motorcycle have 240 horsepower right, and nice. spend that kind of money when you could probably do something as simple as this. Exactly. Right. But but you see, it, it takes a process and, and, and trust before you are comfortable. You know, one of the things that amazes me the most is that I just came back from the Massachusetts Lobstermen's Association meeting up in North Falmouth. And if I go and I put Surma in your bike, and for whatever reason, it'll never happen, but I blow up your bike, all right, you won't feel too happy, but your life goes on. If I put Surma in a lobster boat and I blow up that lobster boat, those people lose their crew. They lose their livelihood. They lose their restaurant. They lose their house. Think about the amount of trust that we had to develop oh, sure. before we could put this in a lobster boat. Oh, yeah. And those lobster boats are the, one of the hardest working machines out there when you load them up. Those people, a typical person has 700 lobster po uh, po uh, pots, plus a crew, plus waves. So the point is, I took lobster boats, which typically used to go about 200 hours on an oil change. Mm -hmm. They're going eight hundred hours on an oil change. But that's not what excites the lobstermen about Surma or Jim McGrath. What excites them is they can breathe again. 
because I reduced that black soot and that opacity billowing out of the back of that boat by about 90 plus percent. Wow. By giving them ceramic pistons. And one other thing, Ted, one other reason that you have high soot and opacity is temperature gradients or temperature differences on the cylinder walls. Where you have a water jacket close to the metal, it runs cooler. Where you don't, it runs hotter. And those gradients or those differences in temperature affect the combustion of every time the piston goes up and down. One of the nice thermodynamic properties of Surma is that it balances out the hot spots. So mm. the cylinder walls become uniform in temperature. Plus, within the first, uh, in a boat, it's probably within the first 10 hours, we reseated those rings, got rid of the shellac and gum tar so that they spread out properly. That's how we do it. And so a lot of newer trucks, um, they're plagued by these uh, diesel particulate filters, and that's another racket because uh, you're always changing the filters because they wear out after so many regens. Right. Uh, we clean that right up. We clean up oxygen sensors. We clean up PCV valves. So, uh, you know, it's just all around. It's good. Surma even gets into the vapors of the engine. So it could actually travel to the tops of valve covers and things like that and clean things over time. So it's, it's just, I'm telling you, I am absolutely blessed. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, you've, you've really gotten me curious and very, very interested. I'll give you an example of what I'm up against here. For me, uh, for my bike, a one quart of uh, the Harley-Davidson formula oil that I have to use is uh, nearly $9 a quart. Mm-hmm. Now, now, you got my three quarts, I got to do that. Then I got another quart of uh, transmission fluid that I have to use, another $9. So I'm looking at 50 to $60 to do my oil change, and I have to do that twice a year. Now, with Surma, it's going to cost me a little bit more, but it's going to last me a lot longer. You know what, Chris? If we, if you bought it by a five-gallon pail, we could work wonders, okay? I mean, one other thing that I do, and this is just me personally, but I'll buy the oil in a 55-gallon drum, and I'll rebottle it and use Mobile One bottles. And I'll ask my customers, look, you want to save a couple of bucks a quart? The bottle's going to say Mobile One, but I've got no pride. And 99% of my customers say, I'm cool with that, man, because we, we build that relationship on trust. Now, sure. if you get that one person that says, oh, no, I want the bottle sealed and I want the proper label on it, no problem. Then I drop ship out of Texas and they pay another $3 for that same quart of oil. So either way, listen, whatever floats their boat, I'm happy. But my goal really is how can I keep these costs down? Because the secret to my business is a residual income. And if I get you hooked on the oil, you're coming back all the time. The family's growing, more bikes, more referrals, and, and that's the secret to my business. That's my advertising. That's my customer acquisition cost. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm very, like I said, I'm very interested. So for me, for, uh, for your average person that's going to be buying, uh, that's going to come from listening to this podcast, and they say, boy, they want Surma oil. So they're going to go on to the SurmaStore.com uh, website, mm-hmm. and they're going to click on a little link that says Motorcycle. And then they're going to scroll down and look for the motorcycle oil, the Surmax, and yep. it's going to ask you to choose the viscosity on that oil there, which mm-hmm. uh, which is which is odd because we were talking about that earlier, and it's uh, you said it's, it's not really necessary because you don't really think of that. So uh, I'm a little just curious. Just talking your lingo. All right. <laughs> so that's what it is. It's basically you're just, uh, I guess you know, patronizing us with our okay, what viscosity you want to use? But in quotes, it says it doesn't really matter because it's all the same stuff. We're seducing you, Ted. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I want the 2050, and then I'm going to expect if I want a quart. So what's the better value, to buy the 12-quart case, the 5-gallon pail, or the 55-gallon drum? 
<laughs> and I think it's funny that you're selling a 55-gallon drum of oil. Oh, you have no idea how many 50. In fact, I sell 275-gallon totes. Okay. Really? No kidding. Wow. Yeah. And, and, but here's, here's the whole situation. Uh, you know, why, what, well, we should have asked me the question, what's better, 2050 or 1540? And, and basically the answer, remember I said before that thicker is not necessarily better. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, but typically we have the 2050 because of air cooled engines and we have uh, 15 for, uh, you know, 1540 for wa uh, water cooled engines. But once again, it doesn't matter. All right. And if the price of uh, the price of 2050 oil is going through the roof. And wow. so you could safely get by with the 1540 oil and have no you could even go to 1030. There's there's no issues because my oil is so over designed. It flows so well. Also, because of the nanomolecule size, the real the real thing that you should be talking about is molecule size, because the smaller the molecule size, the better it gets into the metal. All right. Wow. You know, I'll tell you what, Jim, you've, you've got me hooked. I, I think I want to give it a try. Why don't you try to, uh, to tell our listeners right now where they can go to get your oil and uh, any last words you want to tell them and convince them that you, they need this? Yeah, I told you that, you know, I, I really stress personal relationships and and I do things that nobody else does, kind of like buying in a 55-gallon drum and re-bottling re it in Mobile One bottles or whatever. But it's all about the end result, the satisfaction of the customer, et cetera. You know, I stress to anybody that you go on the website, you're going to see some prices, you're going to see some package deals. I will just tell you that, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no such thing as free shipping. It's in there somewhere, okay? And I'm just being honest with mm -hmm. you. The way I work my business is that I don't offer packages and this and that, but I've lowered my prices really to the bone. And I'll figure out exactly what you need, and I'll figure the shipping once. Okay. There you go. Uh, you also going to have the option of, you know, you might I might suggest to you, hey, listen, do you want to buy it in a five gallon pail? And then I I, I got on my hands uh, some of these little spigots that you can screw onto the pop up thread of the five gallon pail. It almost becomes like a beer keg. Okay. <laughs> and so you take now you smiled. And yeah. so you take the five-gallon pail, you turn it on its side, you open up that spigot, and you fill up your own container. Okay? Wow. So if you were to buy the oil now, you've got a little bit of a price increase coming, but right now I'm selling the oil in a five-gallon pail for like $6.75 a quart. So, you know, if instead of – so I wouldn't I, – I never sell a 12-quart pack because if anybody's going to buy 12 quarts for almost the same price, they can get a five-gallon pail, which is 20 quarts. So this is all part of the relationship building where right, you're going to say that, you know, yeah. that guy treated me like so great from the first time I ever met him. And, and that's just the way I roll. And right. and that's probably part of the secret of why I'm as good as what I do at this. And I don't want to sound egotistical, but I'm I am so blessed, you know, to have a product. Think about this. I've got a product that has zero competition and everybody needs it. Right. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, I'll be at the Americade this year again. And. You know, when I come back to shows year after year, uh, I bring a thousand pounds of oil. Wow. I bring like <laughs> lots of, <laughs> I bring lots of quart containers. I bring lots of five gallon pails. In fact, no kidding. I, I carry about twenty four five gallon pails. Well, I'll see and, you at a market. And that's not for my benefit. That's a gift to my customers that you could save on the shipping. If okay. I was to ship you a pail, thirty dollars goes to FedEx. Nice. So <laughs> I'm all about working with my customers. Right. Well, I'll see you at Americade this year. Absolutely. I'm in the same spot. Good. Excellent. Uh, one more question I want to ask you about with regard to the oils. Does it matter what type of filter you use? You know what? Um, 
there, the filter industry, first of all, there's only a handful of manufacturers. So I wouldn't get hung up on one brand of Fram versus, you know, XYZ. It, it, it's pretty much the same manufacturer. The other issue I have with, with a lot of these people is that they really don't talk about micron size. It's very hard to see how many microns the filter is. Right. Is it 20 microns? Is it 40 microns? Who knows? Even when you go on the website, uh, they typically will will look at these things and, and say, oh, this is a 5,000 mile filter, a 10,000 mile, a 15,000 mile filter. I tend to buy the 15,000 mile filter if it's probably not over $11 a filter. Um, I'm not going to pay double or triple, um, but I am kind of maybe just believing for my own peace of mind that maybe it's a better pleated material or maybe there's more of it in there. Right. Uh, but you know what? They're actually uh, I just came across a, a company called Microgreen that has great filters that they sell them on Amazon for about eleven dollars a quart. And that is uh, at least a, th- a 15, if not more, 20,000 mile filter. Uh, and, you know, I contacted them and maybe we can refer each other's oil and filters and, and put together package deals with that or give you a coupon to get a Microgreen filter drop ship. I'm not endorsing them. I'm just saying that. I'm always looking for a better filter, but I'm not going to go pay $20 for a filter. If it's in the $11, $10 price range, which most filters are now, um, I would buy a 15,000-mile uh, uh, filter. Or if I did stumble upon any particular brand that within that price range um, is more willing to discuss microns, they say that they filter down to two microns. You know, I'm, I'm laughing because I don't need a two-micron filter. It's, it's a multi-stage filter, right. that micron. Green. Well, I'll give but you an example. My filter will go down. My my technology will go down to the sub micron level. Nobody can touch that. Well, let, let me give you an example. I'm looking at my uh, Harley website, which I do often because I'm stupid that way. But uh, they're selling five micron and ten micron filters. Yep. For fifteen dollars and uh, ten dollars. Now, is that is that bull? Well, is it is it two stage or one stage? Uh, you know, let's go to let's go to the five micron and we'll check that out. I'll tell you right now. Super premium five oil filter, and it does not say. Right, and and so that's kind of why I was leaning towards that the other filter, uh, just because they're more willing to disclose a little bit about their technology. The you know everything has a cost benefit ratio, and my concern is that a five micron filter is going to have an adverse effect on how long it can do five microns and how much it's going to restrict the flow of oil. Now, these filters all come with bypass uh, valves in them, so you wouldn't even know, but the filter would stop filtering, and then the oil's going around the filter. All That's right. how they keep an engine running. All right, so now, well, getting moving a little, a little further along, now, suppose uh, somebody puts an air cool, uh, sorry, an oil cooler on their bike. Is that senseless now that they they start using Serma? You're, you're starting to realize the value of Serma. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. You know, so uh, you know what is just going to further cool the oil. But yeah. I mean, how much do you want to cool the oil? There's a point of you know where you don't want to go too cold. Right. So <laughs> the point is that Serma will comfortably drop your oils at least 10 degrees, if not more. Um, and that's a good thing. I, I've got a guy, he, uh, Woody, the stump guy, he grinds stumps and, uh, he's got a Wisconsin engine and he'll take that thing and he'll go into an Oak and just work that eight hours a day. And he said, Jim, I can't believe it. He says, I put my hand on the engine at the end of an eight hour day and it doesn't burn it. Wow. That's, that's, that's how much person. it cooled down that Wisconsin. You know, one of the things, uh, that my brothers and I, my two co-hosts, my, they were my, actually my brothers, 
uh, we all we all ride Harleys, and one of the things that we have to deal with often, and, and I had an opportunity to speak with uh, somebody about this. I'll get to that in a minute. But heat is the is one of the issues that we contend with every summer, and of course the obviously motorcycle the performance of the bike itself, and the heat is one of, you could feel the heat emanating off the oil tank itself. And we keep saying, oh, we got to get an oil cooler or we got to get the love jugs for the, to, to keep the engine cool. Now, the love jug, I love the love jugs. That's a great product for keeping the entire engine cool. Having something like Surma to keep the oil even cooler would be even better for the engine. So this is something that I think we're definitely going to look into. We're going to certainly uh, encourage our uh, listeners to uh, try you guys out. Ted, I can honestly tell you there is no negative aspects using the Surma. It does not void warranties. It does not void tolerances. By the way, you know, we always get the question, well, my bike's under warranty, and I, I can't chance that. What, what we do is when we bought a brand-new car, I got free oil changes from Toyota. Yeah. I still put the ceramic engine treatment in there and went to the dealership for the free oil changes. They think I'm their best customer because I went for every 10,000 miles of free oil change. But the minute I was done with their free oil changes, I then at 30,000 miles three years later went to the Surma oil. And my Toyota, which is supposed to get 32 miles to the gallon, gets about 38, 38 and a half. Wow. Uh, the other thing, too, is the Magnuson Moss Act of 1975. What that says is that Toyota can't force you to buy Toyota oil. Harley can't force you to buy Harley oil. In fact, even if you extended what they recommended as an oil change uh, interval, that does not void warranties. If you want to get down to the brass tacks, what they're concerned about is the two things that void warranties is, is altering your tolerances mm-hmm. and altering the pH, the acid alkalinity balance of the oil. See, nobody so, knows that. Nobody knows that. Right, right. But the point, the point is this is why they don't like any chemistries being added to their oil because yeah. you have a certain pH of the oil, you have a certain pH of the additive, and when you take A and B and mix it together, you got C, which is uncharted territory, and now we're getting back to how does that affect the metallurgy? Right. Okay. So so we do so ceramics is inert. It does not have an acid or an alkali characteristic. It's it's basically sand. It's liquid sand. Wow. So so that solves that pH issue. The other issue was tolerances. And I explained at the beginning of this broadcast that this is not a coating because all coatings eventually fall off. This is like a heat treating that pickles or penetrates into the metal up to six microns deep in pursuit of the carbon or carbon acid and cures in the grain of the metal forever. So we are not affecting tolerances. They do not like thick gobbledygook, especially in precision transmissions where pieces of metal are moving very closely together. And if they start getting a drag, something doesn't happen when it should. And then the whole system crashes. Wow. this is just amazing technology. I'm just so blessed to, to, to be able to do it. Uh, and I eat it and drink it. And I don't drink it, but I just call it. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> so tell us, where are you going to be coming up? Uh, you know what? I, I The next I'm going to be at the Springfield Sportsman Show. Okay, that's in February, probably, I don't know, the second or third week of February at the Big E. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one other thing that I didn't even touch on is that we take this ceramic technology and we put it into a shaving cream. What? And we spray it into guns. Oh, okay? Really? So when you put something in a gun, you have what's called rifling, which has high and low points. So yeah. we don't want to just hit the high points. We want this foam to expand and hit all the points. But bottom line is you take this shaving cream, you shake it up. The dirtier the gun, the better because it loves carbon. 
You spray it inside and out on the trigger mechanism, everything. It won't affect the blowing. You leave it for a whopping 20 minutes and you wipe it out. And here comes the punchline. You never clean the gun again. You have a ceramic gun. And the issues with guns is the same thing as the issues with cars. They lacquer up. You're literally creating a tube of varnish from the heat of the bullet going down the barrel. But with ceramics, the hotter it gets, the slipperier it gets. So, you know, we took a SIG 229 40 caliber, which is only a four inch barrel. We increased bullet velocities 150 feet per second. That's unheard wow. of. <laughs> no uh, AR 15, wow. 300 feet per second. I've got a Connecticut State Trooper. He takes an AK 47. He'll fire a rapid burst of 30 rounds at his mother in law and then grab the barrel. And it's not even hot enough to burn. We, we even, t- Ted, we even take, a, we've got a ceramic grease I mentioned before for ball joints and all that stuff. It's like $15 a tube, cheaper if you buy it by the case, and cheaper if you buy it in a bucket. But the point is that that grease is good from minus 45 to 800 degrees Fahrenheit. So put that on snowmobiles in northern Canada. All other greases are falling off. Put that grease uh, in a marine environment where the salt water washes the grease out of the bearings. It doesn't matter because the grease was a medium to allow the ceramics to go in. So, you know, we've got the technology to treat anything that's metal and moves and do it permanently and bulletproof it against wow. everything, which means ethanol and acids, et cetera. Okay. You going to be at any of the RV shows? Uh, you know what? I used to be at the RV show, but I'm going to, uh, I did a couple of years up at the Big E, but this year I skipped it because I had a scheduling conflict. I'm going to a EMS show over in Long Island, but, right. but also uh, in late February, I'll be up at the Maine Fisherman's Forum. Then I head out to Louisville, Kentucky, to the Mid-America Trucking Show, where everybody out there has three tractor trailers in their backyard. It's, it's, it's crazy, like 145,000 people in three days wow. or four days. So I go to that every year. It's the largest trucking show in the United States. I also do all the boat shows, which is the Newport, Rhode Island, the Norwalk, Connecticut, the Annapolis right. boat shows. So we're, we're pretty, pretty busy between EMS and boating and trucking and cars and motorcycles. Now, so what I, I hear missing from that is like things like Sturgis, Laconia, Myrtle Beach. You know, and I have a limit to how far I want to travel. I, I did do the SEMA show out in Las Vegas, right. and it cost me 7500 bucks. By what? the time you figure airfare and the unions, you can't send your trucker in to pick up your stuff. It has to be held in a warehouse. It's a racket. What about so the... I, I go to places that I can drive, and, and my longest trip is Louisville. That's about a 20-hour trip because you never get there mm-hmm. you know, on time. Um, but uh, I, because I bring 1,000 pounds in the van, and I do it for my customers. Yeah. And, they'll, and so when you see me coming to these shows year after year, what I actually give you the option of doing is pre-ordering so that I don't sell your oil to somebody else, and then I'll still invoice it for 30 days. Oh, so you okay. come to the show, pick up the invoice and the pail, and you're on your way. What about the AIM and uh, the like the IMS show? Are you familiar with them? I haven't done that. Uh, where is that located? Okay, well, the AIM show used to be in uh, Orlando, which is the uh, American International Motorcycle Show. Like, I'm not sure exactly what the, exact, uh, what the acronym is, but also the International Motorcycle Show, which travels around the country, which just finished up, I think, in uh, Las Vegas or in Iowa. They were just in Ohio, actually. But um, the AIM motorcycle show is going to be in um, it's going to be in Ohio this year uh, for the first time. Well, I will tell you what. I almost went last year to the Swamp Fox, which is down in uh, right outside of Myrtle Beach. Okay. Uh, but the town uh, raised the permit so high for vendors that. They forced them out of Myrtle Beach, uh, probably about a uh, half hour down the road. And as a vendor, 
it would have cost me, I'm not talking about the entry fee for the swamp box. I would have had an, about an $800 tax from the county in South Carolina. Oh, in addition to my fees for the swamp box show. That's stupid. Yeah, it's, 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 it's punitive. Wow. So, you know, I like to be able to drive with the van and, and have a lot of product on hand because people like instant gratification. Well, I'll tell you what, if you sign up with, uh, with AIM when they go to uh, Ohio this year, and even the IMS show, the International Motorcycle Show, when they come to New York and all the other several locations that they go, yeah. that'd, be, that'd be a good event for you to be at. Both definitely, yeah. definitely. All right, Jim, I'll tell you what, is there any last words you want to say before we uh, cut you off? Uh, listen, I, I, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for allowing me to get such an important hey, message right. out. You know, I just couldn't be more blessed to meet the right people. And, and I just feel that uh, everything about this product is what I say, but don't trust me. Do your homework. Try and kick the tires. Try and find something wrong. But if you need referrals, you need anything, I'm here for you 24-7. This is all I do. The hardest decision actually wasn't that hard. I was leaving General Electric, but I never look back. You know, it's, right. it's just a blessing. Well, Jim, thank you very much for being on the Motorcycle Men podcast. I really appreciate it. And then definitely Listen, really can I can I just give my my phone number if anybody absolutely, wants to call? Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever contact information you want, go ahead, blurt it out right now. Okay. I I'm James McGrath out of North Haven, Connecticut. You can call me at 203-376-1152. If you want to email me, it's J McGrath, so it's J M C G R A T is in Tom, H is in Henry. Zero one at SBC like Sam Boy Charles Global dot net. So it's Jay McGrath zero one at SBC Global dot net. But the best thing is just give me a call two zero three three seven six one one five two and check out the website. I really appreciate it. And it can go to the website, which is uh, sermastore dot com, and you can find out everything you need to know about Serma Industries, Serma Lube, and all the uh, Serma products that they got going on there. Everything to lubricate whatever it is you got. Isn't that right, Jim? Absolutely. Jim, but thank you very much. give me a call for that extra advice. All right, sir. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. All right. That was uh, Jim Grath with Serma Lube. Don't forget to go check him out at sermalube.com and get all that cool stuff for your car, your truck, your bike, uh, your boat, and whatever else you have that uses a motor. Uh, this stuff will keep your engine running forever and ever and ever, and it will do beautiful things for your performance and also for noise and vibration and keeping yourself cool. So this has been episode number 74. I am Ted, and we're here at the V-Twin Cafe. And don't forget, you can also go to our homepage of the website, and you can subscribe to the podcast, and then we will also do some wonderful things in the future. And I want to thank all of our current subscribers for helping us out. That's what's bringing you all of these wonderful interviews and some cool things coming up in the future. Uh, we got some new things happening pretty soon. So thank you very much for listening, and don't forget, ride safe and be careful out there.